are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome to another Monday edition of Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts. I'm your Monday host, Jackson Gatlin, also host of Locked On Rockets right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Today, we'll be chatting with Philip Rossman-Reich from Locked On Magic as Paolo Bancaro, the number one overall selection in this year's NBA draft, has been taking NBA Summer League by storm. Just how good has Paolo Bancaro looked in these first couple games that we've seen out of him in Vegas Summer League? Then we chat with Ryland Stiles from Locked on Thunder as the number two overall selection. Chet Holmgren has also been showing out in his own way. Also, his partner in crime, Josh Giddy, has looked incredibly talented. Just how good has that duo been? And who are the other standouts on the OKC Thunder Summer League roster. Lastly, we chat with Tony East from Locked On Pacers as Benedict Matherin has had a strong game and then a not so strong game. So what are the standouts about Benedict Matherin so far throughout Summer League? Who else has impressed on the Pacers Summer League roster? Who might be a part of the team moving forward in Indiana? But first, got to let you know that we appreciate you for making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day. We are free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. Just go to YouTube, search Locked On NBA. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. And today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, it's where the game starts. Joining us now is Philip Rossman Reich from Locked On Magic, who you can follow on Twitter at Philip RR underscore O M D. And in fact, O M G, Philip, um, <laughs> Paolo Bancaro looks every bit the number one overall pick so far in, in a couple of Vegas summer league games. He looks fantastic. His very first game, he put up 17, 4, and 6 to go with one steal, 5 of 12 shooting, 2 of 3 from downtown. That was against Jabari Smith Jr. and the Houston Rockets. In his second game, 23 points, six rebounds, six assists, four steals, two blocks, six of 15 shooting, but then an absurd 11 of 15 at the charity stripe. So we'll start things off here. So far, have you been more impressed with, and we can get to whichever one you're least, whatever, but have you been more impressed with his scoring at this point or his playmaking so far in summer? Uh I've been more impressed with this playmaking. I mean, I, I think the the selling point of drafting Paolo Bancaro is that he is just a ready-made scorer and that he is uh, someone that's just going to put the ball in the basket. I mean, I, I am not joking when I say this. I, I, it's been at least a decade, certainly longer than a decade, that the Magic have had a, a, a player who can get to the line pretty comfortably 10 times per game. And obviously it's summer league, so that's probably not going to translate completely over. Um, but I, I think the rap on, on Bancaro coming into the NBA was that he was kind of be kind of a ball stopper, that he was going to be a little bit more of a, that isolation player. And the dude has just been so open to just passing and making plays for everyone else. In fact, I would honestly say he's overpassing sometimes. There's There's a play late in the game on Saturday where I thought he should have just gone for it and gone for the, gone for the basket instead of trying to pass and ended up turning the ball over late, late in that game. His passing has been incredible. I, I, I thought from watching, watching some games at Duke that his passing was not being talked about enough and that he was a better passer than he showed. Um, that would be underselling what we've seen so far. He, he's been really, really, really good at, at just finding guys and really putting a focus on getting his teammates involved. And, Obviously, the teammates he's playing with in the summer are not the teammates he's going to be playing with in the regular season. And, and yes, I know the Magic aren't the greatest team in the world, but having a willing passer like that who can also score and get to the line and, and really put his imprint on the game like he has been, 
uh, it's it's been it's been a lot better than 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 I could have imagined for him. Yeah, you know, ha- having a willing passer like that unlocks so much for your offense at the NBA level. And, and again, some of the passes I was you know sitting in this very seat against Rockets Magic, and I saw Paolo whip a pass to a cutter who went baseline, and just I mean, his court vision is absolutely unreal. Uh, have you maybe, and this is maybe, maybe, maybe not a serious knock on his game, but are you at all concerned about what it seems to be maybe kind of a lack of rebounding? Cause like he went through like the whole half against the Kings, didn't have a single rebound. Now he did pick up six rebounds in the second half, but it almost watching him, especially in the defensive end. And this was one of the knocks on him coming out is that effort level assertiveness on the defensive side, you know, maybe. I don't want to say taking plays off at times, but not necessarily boxing out every possession, that kind of thing. He just hasn't been super active on the glass. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't, I'm not super concerned on, on that front, but I, I do agree with that, with that observation and that criticism. Um, I, you know, I, I kind of thought that the big knock that I had on him uh, is, is defensively, he's just not willing to get phys- not willing to be physical right now, and. You know, and I would say that on the glass too. He's just not going out, you know, bodying up guys. The only time he's really kind of using his physical, his physicality and, and, and his body is when he's trying to post up a guy, trying to get the ball. Uh, and whether that's something that is just kind of going to the type or whether that's something the Magic said, like, hey, you know, don't push yourself so much physically here. We want to get you through summer league. You know, we, we know what we know what we need to see from you. Um, you know, it, it's certainly up in the air, you know, it certainly plays into some of the storylines that were about him, that, that were said about him entering the draft. Uh, but overall, I, I'm, I'm not that worried. Uh, you know, again, I, I think some of it is he understands, he knows that this is summer league that, you know, yes, you want to put in the effort. Yes. You want to work on a few things, but you don't need to go all out. You watch him play these two games he very clearly has kind of graduated above this level of play that he's ready for whatever comes next, whether that's preseason basketball, whether that's playing at the crossover in in Seattle, whether that's regular season basketball, he's clearly kind of ready to graduate from playing in summer league. He's getting the work in just to kind of get his sea legs in there. So I'm not overly concerned with it, but yes, that, that, that criticism, that observation is a hundred percent true. If there's one thing, that I would like to see more from him is more engagement uh, on the glass and, and defensively. But like we saw at the end of the game on Saturday, when he wants to be engaged, he can be engaged. And so again, some of it, some of it to me feels like he's just kind of turning it on and off because of the setting that he's in rather than how he's actually going to play when, when we get to the games counting. And when you look at his, you know, kind of counting numbers through the first two games, I do take kind of a look at like the efficiency on, on kind of how he's getting his shots, where he's getting his shots. You look at that very first game against the Rockets. He was two of three from behind the three point line, which is nice. But then, you know, inside the arc, he was only three of nine. And then you go to his game against the Kings and he was six of 15 overall. So, you know, maybe another I don't want to say another area cause for concern, that kind of thing, because then against the Kings, he managed to draw free throws at an absolutely absurd rate went to the line 15 times like his ability to create contact initiate and you know finish through contact or at least draw the foul is is out of this world which plays into his ability to kind of be that offensive engine but is it something you know maybe would you prefer to see maybe a different shot profile from him do you think it's just you know him being a little bit too aggressive getting fouled on some of these attempts what do you think it is that's kind of translating to a little bit of subpar efficiency at this point yeah, I mean, I think some of it is, you know, Paolo has said, Paolo said this to the media in interviews too. Like he's kind of using this summer league to get himself back into shape. Like, you know, he hasn't played five on five since the, since the final four in April. So this was, you know, 
you know, us schlubs who play basketball, who play basketball once every couple months, uh, it, you know, if, if that first time back, it, it doesn't, not everything feels, feels right. Uh, imagine how that feels for someone like, uh, this is what it feels like for someone like Paolo. Um, but, you know, I think the other part of it too is there's a lot of attention on him. You know, I think, I think uh, what, what Houston did really well in the second half, they started sending double teams his way. Sacramento was kind of walling, walling him up a little bit. You know, that the, the play that we talked, the, the play that won the game on Saturday, the ball got knocked away from him because uh, I think it was Keon Ellis stayed in the paint, stayed at the free throw line. I don't think Paolo was expecting that. So I think some of the struggles that we're seeing Paolo go through are, are kind of the natural struggles that you see star players kind of go through when they first start getting double teamed. I think it does say a lot that, you know, you're in the middle of a summer league game and defenses don't really know what to do with you. And so they're starting to throw multiple looks at you. They're starting to throw kind of different reads at you. And I don't, you know, whether that's the coaching staff not preparing him for it, whether that's Paolo not being quite ready to handle uh, an NBA summer league level double team, as opposed to maybe a college level double team. It, it feels like the defenses are really kind of focusing on Paolo and, and trying to get either get the ball out of his hands or force a tough shot. I think he, I think especially Saturday, he took a lot of tough shots. I think he was trying to force his way to the basket more because he didn't feel his jumper in the same way that he did Thursday night. Um, and so I think there's a little bit of Paolo, you know, experimenting a little bit, trying to figure out what he what he can do, what he can get away with at this level. Defense is really keying in on him, knowing that he's the really the best player on this this team and really the offensive engine for this team. I think that was a big reason why Sacramento was able to come back in the game was they just got the ball out of Paolo's hands. Uh, as much as they could in that fourth quarter. Um, and, and I think some of it is just Paolo still getting his legs under him after not playing organized basketball in a very, very long time. Last thing here for you, Philip, changing gears away from Paolo Bencaro momentarily. Is this RJ Hampton's last lifeline? Like, is this summer league? Does he, does he need to show something to this Magic team in summer league for them to feel better about him moving forward? I mean, I think they definitely want to see him be the more poised version of of him of him. Um, you know, I think it's it's it, I think they expected or hoped that RJ would come into the summer league and look like a third year player. Uh, you know, we we talk about this a lot where the second year players that come into summer league, they look like veterans. They look like the guys who know what they're doing. And, and unfortunately, RJ Hampton just doesn't really feel like that guy. I, I will give a little bit of a pass in that the Magic are using R.J. Hampton more as a point guard and more as a ball handler, which they did not really do last year. And they're kind of putting the ball in his hands and giving him a little bit of a green light. And 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 that's not really the way that he was used last year when he did play. And in fact, honestly, the Magic went out of their way to avoid using him in the way that they're using him uh, in this summer league. I, I still think there have been some good moments. Um, you know, when Hampton's kind of out of control in transition, that's when he's really bad. Uh, you know, when you speed, when you speed him up and speed up his decision-making, he makes bad decisions when he's been able to kind of get into half court, when he's been able to kind of run, run the offense, he's been able to make some really good plays. So I don't think it's been all bad for RJ Hampton, but it certainly does feel like the clock is ticking. Uh, the magic on um, Sunday night signed Caleb Houston to a contract. It's not clear what kind of contract that is. Um, but they, they, they're obviously ready to burn the rights on a second round pick. Who's looked really good in summer league. That brings their roster up to 16 players under contract. So someone on this roster is getting cut. So if you're RJ Hampton, if you're Devin Kennedy, even who's played well in summer league, um, you know, you got to be feeling a little bit of the pressure that, Hey, I'm going into training camp playing for my job. And yeah, you're pretty much starting to play for your job here today in, in summer league. So that RJ certainly has not played up to the level that the magic need him to play at, but there's, there's definitely still time for him to kind of earn his way back in. 
what else will we see out of Paolo Bancaro over these remaining summer league games? What does RJ Hampton's future hold in Orlando? You're going to have us covered for all of that and more over at Locked on Magic. Philip, I appreciate you stopping by Locked on NBA with me. No problem. Thanks for having me on. Coming up, Chet Holmgren and Josh Giddy taking multiple summer leagues by storm. Just how good has the number two overall selection looked so far against NBA-level competition? What stands out about what Chet Holmgren brings to the table? But first, a quick message from our friends over at BetOnline, because BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your sports betting needs and stats info. Find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including Major League Baseball, MMA, UFC, boxing, all the different fighting, all the different fighting sports. You got all of those covered at Bet Online. Also, golf. You name, you name it. They've got it over at Bet Online. They've got you for live betting, esports scores. Sp- all your sports wagering information. In fact, you can take a look right now at who the odds-on favorites are to win next year's NBA title. Right now, the Boston Celtics, the clear-cut, well, not clear-cut favorites, but the favorites at plus 600. Then you got the Milwaukee Bucks at plus 625. Holding on spots three and four are the Golden State Warriors and Phoenix Suns, both at plus 650. And then rounding out the top five, the Los Angeles Clippers at plus 700. John Wall's new home with the LA Clippers. So for all of that and more, head to their website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action available to you. Bet online. It's where the game starts. And continuing on here at Locked On NBA Monday, as always, we appreciate you for making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day. Joining us now is Rylan Styles from Locked On Thunder. You can follow on Twitter at Rylan underscore Styles. Rylan. Chet Holmgren, who got a bit of a head start in his, I guess, summer league regimen, routine, whatever, going, you know, up to the the Utah summer league, getting a a leg up on the competition. What is this? uh, You know, Sam Presti's master plan. He's going to get two games, two extra games under Chet Holmgren's belt compared to the other top prospects. No, I kid, I kid. Look, Chet has looked incredible so far and you know looks every bit the number two overall pick and you know we were just discussing before we hit the record button these top three prospects Paolo, Chet, Jabari all look really impressive in their own rights respectively but first impressions on Chet Holmgren now that you have a a decent sample size of of games against NBA competition to kind of judge him on. Yeah I I think that obviously it's summer league obviously all the qualifiers out the window but my first impression my first takeaway was just a sense of calmingness. Like there was always this huge polarization regarding the conversation around Chet Holmgren of like, he has the highest bus potential and he just, you know, might, might be too small to play in the league physically, you know, just in his weight and everything watching him play in these summer league games. I, I, you know, we can debate all day long what a ceiling is, but I am very confident that that jump shot is real, that that rim protection is real, that he has the tools to be an NBA player. He has the tools to stay in the league and not be one of these guys who play for two years and is just one of the best you know, and biggest busts of all time. So that has been a sense of calming already in the first few games. Now past that, uh, I really like what we've seen from him already uh, with a Thunder playing through him more than he, than what we saw in college In college, you know, the spacing is different. And I saw a lot of people taking kind of shots at Mark few. I don't think that this is a Mark few issue. It's more so of a college issue of just how the game's played at that level. Plus he had to play with drew Timmy and play with other bigs uh, at Gonzaga. So you get to see more of him as a playmaker, more of him as kind of uh, in that high post also, and just seeing how Josh Giddy's utilizing him and thinking about how SGA can utilize Chet Holmgren. It just puts you in a really good spot. If you're OKC. 
Yeah, I mean, he came out of the gate strong in that first game uh, against Utah, against the Utah Jazz themselves. On their, like, how rude of that, right? On on their home turf, they're, they're invitational, and you come out and you embarrass them uh, with a 21-point win. But Chet had 23-7, four assists, had a steal, had six blocks, shot seven of nine from the floor. He looked like Dirk Nowitzki with defense. Like, he, you know, the way that he was pulling up in transition, hitting the threes, it was really a, a sight to behold. Is there anything so far, though, about his game that you're kind of looking at and maybe doesn't give you pause for concern or any reservations, but something you maybe want to see him improve upon in these remaining summer league games, depending on how many more he actually winds up playing. Yeah. I think that what people expect to hear from my mouth right now is about the Kenny Lofton game. I actually don't care about that. Like I don't care that Kenny Lofton just dogged them down low because I think that the thunder should welcome that. If you want to lower your shoulder into Chet Holmgren over and over and over again and settle for two points every time down the floor, I'm perfectly fine with that with how the game is played in the modern era of basketball because you're going to get a lot more tired doing that than Chet Holmgren is, and you've got to guard Chet Holmgren on the other end of the floor. Look at Kenny Lofton in that game. He fouled Chet Holmgren every time on the perimeter whenever they were matched up together. So it goes both ways, but some for some reason we don't acknowledge the fact that Chet also has advantages in that matchup as well. So I'm perfectly fine if you just want to dump the ball in and take the ball out of your best player's hands and utilize a guy like Kenny Lofton in an actual NBA game. I'd love to see that happen against OKC. I would welcome it. The thing that has given me question is the mid-range. We saw in night one of Summer League in, in Salt Lake City, whenever he scored those 23 points on nine shots, and he had that Dirk Nowitzki fadeaway that everyone just raved about, which is awesome. And the, and, the, and the clip and the comparison's awesome. Ever since then, though, a lot of the times in the mid-range, he's tried to get back to that, and that's kind of been denied a bit. I want to see him go deeper into his bag in the mid-range and how he creates shots for himself around the free throw line. That's kind of what I'm looking for in these next few games. But also, to his credit, you've seen some triple handoff stuff that I think is just spectacular. We didn't see a lot of in college, as I alluded to earlier. So, Lachette Holmgren, I want to see his uh, isolation scoring and creating for himself happen more than just that spinning fadeaway. You know, I I know it's impossible to try and figure out what the grandmaster plan is for Sam Presti ever, but it feels interesting. The, the summer league roster for the thunder, it feels like they're kind of vacillating through so many of the names that we've become accustomed to seeing play for the actual thunder during the regular season, right? You had Poku play some games. You've got Josh Giddy playing games, Trey Mann. you've got Ding out there playing games, Jalen Williams. Like what is the, what do you kind of think is the expectation or what do you have as the expectation, the goal for kind of cycling some of these guys in and out of the summer league roster? Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because the original plan, like two weeks ago was that Josh Giddy would only play in the Salt Lake city games as with Poku. And then all of a sudden against the Rockets on Saturday, Josh Giddey was still playing. And that kind of goes along with what we saw the same thing. Two weeks ago, the whole plan was to accept Ludort's team option. Instead, they declined it. So, like, we've been throwing curveballs a few times this offseason. I think that, for one thing, with the Josh Giddey aspect of it, does Josh Giddey need Summer League? No, he could sit out the way that Jalen Green did. He doesn't need it. However, I would say... You look at the team roster and you look at uh, you know this summer league roster and you just take away Josh Giddey's name. Look at the Thunder roster, take away his name. Who's going to playmake for these young players? Who's going to set them up? Who's going to allow them to get comfortable in an NBA environment if not Josh Giddey? Not a lot of good passers on this team. Not a lot of good leaders on this team in the sense of ball handling leaders, playmaking leaders. And so 
the, the easy buckets you can generate for Jalen Williams and get his confidence up, the easy buckets you can generate for Chet Holmgren and get his confidence up, that all allows you to take Josh Giddy out of that lineup and have them be more comfortable and more confident moving forward in these last few games of summer league. They're probably going to play without Josh Giddy, but no one's been committal when, when asked about it. It sounds like Josh Giddy wants to keep playing, and it doesn't sound like the Thunder want him to keep playing, so we'll see who kind of wins that battle moving forward. But I, I think that the plan was just simply – Hey Josh, please go out there and make this make life easier on them uh, in, in this process, so that way we get a sense of what they can actually do. And that's the benefit of having such a young team. You get a head start on you know training camp and on you know preseason and seeing how Chet Holmgren and Josh Giddey will fit together. We've seen Chet Holmgren play with every player he's going to play with in the NBA besides SGA, Lou Dort, and Kendrick Williams and Mike Muscala. Those are the only players we haven't seen him play with yet. So that is a massive head start, and albeit four games of film, maybe five if we get to see him again tomorrow, still on that low amount of film, that's still more resources that the Thunder have that other teams do not have on their top guys and their top uh, possessions of this draft. So all that being said, I'm not sure if Josh will play another summer league game this year or ever again, obviously, uh, but that's kind of the thinking behind it. It's not so much that Josh needs to work on things, it's that he can make life so much better for everyone else that you might as well put them in the best spot to succeed. And to, to your credit, right, and it makes it makes life easier for other people, but it also kind of gives, you know, that preview for Josh, of like where these guys like the basketball, how he can find them, what the chemistry is going to feel like on the floor. Again, it is summer league. You take it with a grain of salt, but having, you know, this handful of games, you know, at least this this becomes that first kind of introduction of what he looks like or he can how he can play off of guys like Chet, like the other guys in the lineup in the roster. But there is one thing about Josh Giddy throughout these summer league games, though, that I wanted to bring to your attention and just see if it's at least worthy of concern at this point right the, the the passing is there the floor vision the creation it's all still there the shooting it, 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 are you at all concerned about that right he's got the one game where he went three for 11 that's kind of like dragging the averages down a little bit further than they probably would be but the efficiency doesn't quite look like it's there yeah and you know it's gonna sound homerish but i'm not worried about the shooting yet because if you've watched him, him play in these games you can see how much more aggressive he is driving to the rack and how much better he is scoring around the rim and so with that rim scoring, with that facilitation aspect of it, with better ball handling, his, his handling looks a lot better than it did uh, a year ago. And with the acknowledgement from Josh Giddy himself, he said at the end of the year and throughout the course of this year, he said back in December, he needed to change his jump shot and work on his jump shot and, and fix it. You can't do that in four months. And so the fact that he's a hard worker, he's acknowledged an issue. Some players never acknowledge that they have an issue and they never work on it. Josh Giddy's working on it, working to change it. And again, you can do it in four months. The fact that Josh Giddey to me has to only get to average. If he can be an average shooter with everything he has off of that, with the passing, with the floating ability, uh, you know, his floater that can turn into lob passes to Chet Holmgren and his spinning drives that we saw in summer league uh, out of nowhere and the posterization dunks we saw in summer league, right? If he can just be average as a shooter, you have to respect him so much in the half court and put so much pressure on him that allows him to, to kind of combat his lack of explosive burst off the dribble. So like if you're playing tighter on him, it's easier to get by you now since you're playing so tight rather than playing loose. So the fact that all he needs to do to get better is become average and you're not asking him to shoot 40% from three, I think eventually he'll get there. He's just not going to get there in four months and since April. And so he knows he's going to change his jump shot. He's working with Mike Wilkes of the Thunder to change that jump shot. And you just got to give it time at this point. Now, if we're in year four and he still can't shoot and he still can't be efficient, then that's another conversation. But I'm not quite concerned uh, four months in due to those facts I just mentioned of, of how many pathways there are to success sans the jump shot. 
Now, Rylan, we're looking at this Thunder roster. You got you got some guys coming back who have already had their rookie season right there, their second stint in summer league. You got the the rookies coming in. Who who deserve that we haven't spoken about yet? Do you think you deserve to you know kind of shine some light on that's impressed you so far in summer league? Jalen Williams out of Santa Clara. He's been awesome. The the highest pick of the two Jalen Williams for the Thunder. Uh, he's been awesome in, in this summer league session, both in Salt Lake City and the one game in Vegas so far. The, the big thing that stands out with his game is his ability to be a play finisher. Like he can score the basketball. He can also score off ball, which is a very you know key thing. Whenever you have a ball dominant guy in Shea and Josh Giddy, uh, he can catch and shoot at a high clip as well from beyond the arc, which is great for Shea, who has the highest driving kick rate in the league. Jalen Williams can be a much needed play finisher for the Thunder that they've been searching for for a very long time, especially in this new current foundation of players. So I wouldn't be surprised if Jalen Williams becomes a starter sooner than later with this Thunder group, and he's been that good uh, in summer league so far. So I think that he deserves all the flowers. And I think that if you didn't have Chet Holmgren for whatever the reason right now, he, he would be getting all of the flowers in the world, especially by Thunder fans. How much more Chet Holmgren and Josh Giddy will we actually get to see throughout Summer League? How good has Jalen Williams been for this Thunder team? You're going to keep us posted for all of that and more over at Locked on Thunder. Rylan, I appreciate you stopping by Locked on NBA with me. Thanks for having me. Coming up, how has Benedict Matherin looked for the Indiana Pacers and who else are the standouts on the Indiana Pacers Summer League roster? But first, a quick message from our friends over at rockauto.com because with the ever-increasing number of makes and models, it's basically impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts that you would possibly need, right? Save save time and money when using rockauto.com. Why choose, right? Willingly choose to spend up to 30, 50, or even 100% more for the exact same parts from a chain store or car dealership. RockAuto.com is a family business. They've been serving do-it-yourselfers online for over 20 years. Their prices are reliably low for every single customer. They've got everything you could possibly need from brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even brand new carpet. So go explore their easy-to-use website today to find the solution to your auto parts needs. This is the part that's really important, though. When you go check out rockauto.com, when you get ready to go check out, when you hit the shopping cart icon, right, be sure to write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so that they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Be sure to visit rockauto.com. And final segment here at Locked On NBA Monday. As always, appreciate you for making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day. Joining us now is Tony East from Locked On Pacers. You can follow at T East NBA. Now, Tony, we've got Summer League galore, and at the heart of that for the Indiana Pacers is one Benedict Matherin. So far, two game spread for Benny Matherin, and one pretty solid game, one not so solid. Had 23-4 and uh, had 23 four boards and a steal in that first game, nine of 16 shooting, and then second game, 15, three and one on six of 16 shooting, only one of four from behind the arc. Let's start with that very first game, kind of first impressions. What stood out during his summer league debut against the Hornets? Yeah, the standout thing at first to me was his ability to move off the ball and wiggle himself free for some of those three pointers. You mentioned he hit three of them in that first game. He took four total and. You know, I know you're only asking about the first game, but the first shot the Pacers made in both of their summer league games so far was a Benedict Matherin three, right? Like that is where he is shining and, and showing off his his ability to fit in on this Pacers team so far is as an off-ball guy who can wiggle himself around an off-ball screen, get open from deep, who can, you know, off one dribble, let it fly, just gets himself open without needing the ball to create that space. And so as that shooter, I think most a majority of his points have come 
from beyond the arc or almost half at least have come from beyond the arc so far in summer league. That's where he's really shined so far because, you know, with so many other NBA players on this Pacers team, he hasn't really had the ball a ton in terms of like self-creation opportunities. Now, this was a guy, though, that, you know, in college did have the opportunity to kind of have the ball in his hands a little bit and have some self-creation opportunities, the opportunity to create for his teammates. Is that something you maybe like to see a little bit more of out of him as we go through the rest of these summer league games? Yeah, I think that that will take the Pacers benching (laughs) their NBA guys. You know what I mean? It's not even necessarily that he's not doing it. He's had some nice finishes over some tall dudes and attacked around some screens. It's just Chris Duarte was was awesome in that first game, right? He had he had 16 points and only seven shots and. Uh, Andrew Nembard, their 31st pick, and Dwayne Washington have had the ball a ton. You know, they've just run it through other guys so far. But as you know, I bet Washington gets shut down pretty soon since he's going to be on their NBA team. Duarte's already done. You know, as summer league progresses and teams shut these dudes down because it doesn't matter anymore, and they already lost. So they're not going to be playing in the championship game. I think then will be Benedict with the ball all the time. He could really push and show what he could do as a scorer and as a guy with the ball. Yeah, so what, what kind of, I mean, it, I thought it was a little odd to see Chris Duarte out there. Just, you know, this was a guy who just came fresh off the all-rookie second team. Like, was, was there just, did they just want to run him out there for the one game and call it a day so he'd get the one rep in with Benedict Matherin? Or, or what do you think was kind of the logic in letting him have the one game in Summer League and then shutting him down so quickly? Yeah, he's been fighting this uh, this toe injury that since dating back to the season. He missed, like, a ton of time to close the season, so... I think part of having him practice with the summer league squad and, and play that game was to see where he's at with his rehab, see how because that's a long time, you know, it's been two and a half months now since he originally went down. See where he's at with his rehab and see how he fits with some of the new guys as well as some of the NBA guys still on that team. Because yeah, I mean, he made the all rookie team. Like he's clearly too good for summer league already, scoring 16 points on seven, seven shots. Sort of more evidence of that. So I think it was more about his rehabilitation and seeing where he's at with that toe since he hadn't played in the game since March-ish, but he, he clearly showed that he was really good, and they were like, yep, looks good, looks healthy, we're done, you're probably done. He's probably done for the rest of Summer League. So not only, like, Benedict Matherin looked good, the, the Pacers looked great against the Hornets, and then, you know, things kind of, what, what went, what changed uh, against the Kings in this second Summer League game, and, and specifically with Matherin, but for the Pacers a, as a whole? <laughs> Holistically, they didn't have Chris Duarte. Uh, more there we go. microcosm on that one game. Namias Keita, or the Kings, my goodness, he was a, he's a big guy. He's been having a really good summer league for Sacramento. He just bullied Isaiah Jackson, and, and that's part of what summer league's all about is, you know, Isaiah Jackson looks good. He was a good rookie last year. He's so athletic. Like, T.J. McConnell always has to joke with the coaching staff for the Pacers. The stuff this guy does is not normal. We have to remember that because we see it every day. This is a not normal player. He can jump high and run fast in a way that a lot of bigs can't. But then he goes against a guy like Kata, who is really strong and really ground-bound around the rim and just gets punked all game, right? Post-ups, the Kings were scoring easily. Kate, I think, had four or five blocks in that game, right? That's where the Pacers got exposed was more down low uh, for a lot of portions of this game. In fact, when the Pacers made their comeback and took the lead, Kata was out of the game, nursing through an injury. So that was a big part of why they lost the Kings is, is Isaiah Jackson, some of the stuff he still needs to work on, got exposed, and their three-point shooting cr- cooled off. They didn't have Duarte, and then Keegan Murray took over down the stretch for the Kings, showing why he was the fourth overall pick. So a lot of stuff just all happened at the same time. Kings were hot from three to start. But really, I think the the core of it was the Kings had this really dominant post player that they hadn't seen yet in Summer League. I feel like we're going to be hearing that sentence a lot. Keegan Murray taking over down the stretch, <laughs> which shout out to Matt George from Locked on Kings. I'm sure he's enjoying that over there. But, you know, Tony, when we're looking at this this Pacers team, 
you know, what are some of the things that you hope to specifically see over these next, you know, few remaining summer league games, either from Benedict Matherin or from some of the other guys on this summer league roster? Yeah, they have a lot of, I mean, they, they're, they're starting five and their first game was all guys who are going to be on their team during the regular season. They have six or seven of those guys even who could be out there. So all those guys you want to see more from, you know, Dwayne Washington had some really solid moments for the Pacers last season. He's really struggled putting the ball in the basket in a summer league setting into the ball, like in a point guard role. Uh, I think he'll be in the Pacers roster this season as one of their deep bench guards. I'd like to see a little more from him in terms of play finishing and actually putting the ball into the basket. This is the simple stuff, of course. Um, Nate Hinton and Gabe York, two guys who finished the season on two-way contracts for them last year, and neither of them have looked particularly impressive. I'd imagine their time with the Pacers is over, but if they don't want it to be, they've got to play better in these games. And Isaiah Jackson's is easy. A little bit better post-defense because all the rest of the stuff he's known for, tons of blocks in both games, crazy alley-oops from Ben Mather and all that's there. But the little tiny things, the stuff that's going to take him from an athletic freak to an actual you know, starter level player is those sort of like fighting in the post sort of things and having a, a move in the post that isn't just jumping higher than the guy guarding you. You know, those sort of little developments of the stuff that I watch for in summer league since the score doesn't matter at all. And I think there's a few more games for those sort of things to stand out. And their draft picks, their second round picks. Uh, Andrew Nembard and Kendall Brown went in the second round and you know they've been really overshadowed because Matherin was the highest Pacers pick in, in three decades. But, you know, Nembard's looked really good running point and finding little crevices to pass in the paint and Kendall Brown's like the fastest guy on this team somehow, which is crazy because they have a lot of athletic dudes on the summer league squad. And when your claim to fame is only that you're fast, maybe you don't have a lot of skills, but seeing how they develop as summer league continues will also be important for this Pacers team. What goes on with this Pacers team? Who sticks and who goes in the future? Who's going to make the you know future training camp roster for this Pacers team? You're going to have us covered for all of that and more over at Locked on Pacers. Tony, I appreciate you stopping by Locked on NBA with me. Thanks for having me, Jackson. And that's going to do it for another Monday edition of Locked On NBA. As always, thank you so much for checking out the show. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcast. That's Apple, Spotify, Google, the Odyssey app, free and available on all platforms. We're also on YouTube. Just go to YouTube, search Locked On NBA, like, comment, and subscribe. But as always, thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to having you back right here at Locked On NBA. The biggest stories with the local experts.